James chapter 1, verses 19 to the end of the chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, as we've been going through the book of James, and we've been in the first chapter since we started in February, off and on with my travel, we've noticed that James has been talking so far in general terms. For example, count it all joy when you face trials. Do you need wisdom? Ask God and don't doubt. Remain steadfast under trial. You will be rewarded. God doesn't tempt you. That's coming from you. And God's a good God who gives good gifts. Your salvation is proof. And I, I don't want to skip over that last one too quickly. I want you to go with me to a very, very, very familiar passage. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But I want you to take a look at it from a slightly different angle tonight. I, as I travel around the country, I hear too many Christians saying this. You ever heard someone say this? Nothing good ever happens to me. You ever heard people say that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been born again and you make the statement, nothing good ever happens to me, what have you just said about your salvation? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look again at verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a what? It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Go to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So don't miss this, folks. James has been talking in big pictures, big general terms and as you're about to see, he's about to get very, very specific. And we're going to start getting down, as they used to say, from preaching to meddling. We're going to start getting into the specifics of living out these things. But God is a good God. And we have to keep that in mind because there's going to be times that the enemy is going to come to try to make us feel differently. And so if you go back to James chapter 1, look at verse 19 again. Look at those first two words. What are they? Know this. All right. And as you're going to see, I don't believe we do, but we don't, if that makes any sense. We know it, but we don't know it. There's knowledge in the sense of head knowledge, and there's epignosis, which is experiential knowledge. We can know things on paper, but not live them out. I pray that God begins, because this is, as you're going to see by the end of our study night, it's going to be a journey, 
that God begins to move us from a head knowledge of what we're going to look at here to an experiential knowledge. And I'm going to tell you straight up ahead of time, Jim Johnson needs this as much as anybody else in the room, if not more. In order to live out of the power and the control of the Holy Spirit that's living within us, instead of living out of our flesh, we have to learn how to take every thought captive and make it obedience, obedient to Christ first. Look at what he says. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, I'm going to do something in just a second here, but I'm going to just kind of set the stage for where we're going to go. But what we're going to talk about tonight is the importance of not letting anything come out of our mouth until we have learned to recognize what the Spirit is telling us and then let only what comes out of our mouths be what the Spirit has said to say. And a lot of times you're going to find that the Holy Spirit's going to say, don't say anything. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to reiterate it to you. I found in the scriptures, and I find it to be an example as well, that we have a tendency to have our first reaction be wrong. All through the scriptures, you'll see this. And those people in the Bible that had their first reaction, which was wrong, thought they were right. And they were righteously sure of it. Lord, tell my sister to help me. Actually, Martha, Mary's chosen what's best. You're wrong. Lord, what about this waste? This money should have been given to the poor. Actually, um, you guys are wrong. It wasn't just Judas that fussed about it. It was all of them, if you read the gospel accounts. When, what this woman has just done for me will be preached every time the gospel's been preached. Lord, should we call fire down on them? No. Lord, we saw people preaching in your name. They weren't part of our group. And we told them to stop. <laughs> Actually, you're wrong. And I want to challenge you. I've said it before. I want you to assume humbly that your first reaction is always going to be wrong. And have that help you learn how to let the Spirit speak to you as to when to speak and when not to speak. What to say and what not to say. I had the privilege this past week of preaching in Caesarea Philippi. Actually, I had the privilege of preaching in 10 different awesome spots. I wish I could tell you about the Mount of Olives and Capernaum, and I could go on and on. I've had an amazing week. But let me just say this to you. In Caesarea Philippi was the place where Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say that I am, and who do you say that I am? But if you keep reading, right after Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, my Father's opened your eyes, man hasn't opened your eyes, verse 20 he strictly charged them to tell no one that he was the Christ. That goes against everything in our mind. Every one of us would think, all right, good, Peter, you got it right. Now go tell everybody. And that's how we in the church have focused. Go tell everybody. Go tell everybody. And if we look at the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is the one determining when we go and where we go and what we say and what we don't say. And that's why we unfortunately have been looking for the formulas and the, oh, this guy seems to be having success. Let's, and he'll write a book on how to share the gospel. And we just put our faith in that instead of learning how to walk with the Lord. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Jim, I understand what you're saying and I, I agree with you. But here's the problem. You hear God speak. I don't hear God speak. 
I'm going to say something to you that may surprise you if you struggle with hearing God speak. He speaks a lot more than we realize. I'm not going to do this to you publicly. I've done it in other places, but I'm not going to do it to you tonight. But I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer it in your own mind. How many of you, if I ask you to raise your hand tonight in answer to this question, but don't do it. But if I ask you to do so, and I ask you, how many of you struggle with hearing God? How many of you would raise your hand? Most all of you, if you're honest, would say, yeah, that'd be me. Now, I'm going to ask you another question. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I already know the answer. How many of you ever had Satan put a thought in your head? You'd all say, yeah. Think about that what, just for a minute. Satan doesn't live inside of you. I asked you, can you hear, you have trouble hearing God speak, and you say yes. Do you have, then I asked you, do you have trouble hearing Satan speak, and you say no. Folks, we have to learn to recognize that just like Satan can put thoughts in our head and speak to us, our Heavenly Father is putting thoughts in our head all the time. And we have to learn to be sensitive to that and recognize the Spirit speaking. And we have to understand and know this, not head knowledge, but epignosis, experiential knowledge. We have to know this, that we have to be quick to hear. And by the way, we've always thought that was, well, let's just listen to each other. No, it's listening to him. Slow to speak. Actually, I'm going to jump to a verse that I was going to use at the end of my notes. But go with me real quick to Proverbs chapter 17. Let's get this truth into our heads at the beginning of our study tonight. Proverbs chapter 17, verses 27 and 28 it's always interesting to me how God has me teach on Tuesday nights and how he has me teach on Wednesday nights. It's not always the same and most often not. In, in Proverbs 28, look at verses, seven, uh, sorry, Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. Proverbs 17, verse 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Even a fool can be considered smart if he keeps his mouth shut. And folks, are we not living in a time right now in which the world is living out of the flesh and the first reaction and everybody's getting quick to anger and jumping to conclusions and jumping? And, and let me just say this to you. It's even happening in the church. God used COVID in a lot of ways to do some amazing good things in the church, but it also brought out a lot of our bad side. The debate over vaccines and whether people should wear masks or not has caused people to act righteously indignant. But I can promise you most of the time the spirit said, I didn't tell you to say that. But Lord, it's right. Yeah, but there's a lot of things that are right that I don't let you speak until I tell you. And you have to learn how to become one of these people that is quick to hear, slow to speak. I have to be careful myself. I love answering Bible questions. By the way, I get that all the time. People contacting me almost every day from around the country, their email or text or phone calls or whatever, and even walking up to me. I love it. The problem is, is a lot of times I want to be quick to show you how fast I can come up with an answer. 
And sometimes I've learned the Lord said, I don't want you to give them the answer. I want to give them the answer. Sometimes instead of me just giving you the answer, the spirit may be telling me, ask them this question. But Lord, I know the answer. And if they would just do what I say, they'll be better off. We got a problem, don't we? We all want to be God. Over the years of being a pastor, there were certain men that I actually wanted to hear what they had to say more than anybody else. Let me describe these men to you. And I've been, I could list their names in the different churches I've been in. These are the men who would sit in a deacon's meeting or an elder's meeting and say nothing. Well, for an hour, as we debated a certain topic, everybody had an opinion and we got nowhere. Yet finally, I would say, Jerry, what do you think? Bob, what do you think? Richard, what do you think? And that person would then finally speak after an hour of just listening to all the other stuff. In just a few words, they would say, well, I've been praying, we've been sitting here, and this is what I think God's saying. And I'm telling you, the instant they spoke, the room got quiet and everybody realized that's the Lord. I want to be one of those guys. I want to be one of those guys that people really believe that everything that comes out of my mouth has been prayed through. I wish I could tell you everything that comes out of my mouth has been prayed through. I have a quick wit. But it gets me in trouble sometimes, not just with people, but with the Lord. I love to make a joke. My dad used to tell me that I had constipation of the brain and diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture to talk to you about the importance of learning to listen to the Holy Spirit in a place that you probably wouldn't expect. Go with me to 1 Samuel 25. I had the privilege of doing a marriage conference here a month or two ago and this passage was shown me by the Lord in a whole new angle as I talked about the husband-wife relationship, but I also came to realize this is a picture of the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit. Go to 1 Samuel 25 and look at verses 1 through 35. 1 Samuel 25, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Don't miss that. Samuel had been the voice of God for David, had he not? The prophet Samuel had been the voice of God for David. Now Samuel's dead. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Now David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing, shearing his sheep, and so David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go up to Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. 
I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in, they were in Carmel. Ask your young men. They'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. Now stop real quick. Let me catch you up so you don't, might not know what's going on here. As you know, David at this point has already been anointed the next king of Israel by Samuel. He actually is running from Saul as Saul's trying to kill him in this process. And he's got a group of men with him that are his mighty men. And while they were out there hiding in the wilderness, they were also at the same time serving as bodyguards, if you will, for Nabal's shepherds. And actually, that was a real job back then because there are always bad guys out there and people that wanted to do damage and steal the flock or whatever or rob. And, and so they would actually serve as protectors so these guys could just tend the sheep and not be worrying about what might happen to them or their animals. And it was very common that when the time came to shear the sheep, that you'd pay the guys who had been protecting your flock. So David sends some of his men to Nabal and says, hey, David uh, wants to know if you could give us a little something for what we've done for you. Nabal says, well, there's lots of people running away from their masters. Who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? And look what David decides when word gets back to him. Verse 13, David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we didn't miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, and all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. Oh, and I hope none of us in here can be described this way. And he's such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I'm going to come after you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. But in the Bible talk about some rash vows and how dangerous that is. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for his, as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. 
Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life. The life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received for her, her hand which she brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. David thought he was in righteous anger. But what did James tell us? Man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Abigail represents the Holy Spirit. By the way, have you noticed the Holy Spirit doesn't force us to listen to him? He humbly, quietly speaks to us and says, this wouldn't be good. This isn't best for you. You don't want this on your conscience. Oh, and if you notice, she even keeps telling him, look, God's made promises to you and he's going to keep them. And when those days are fulfilled and the promises are made, you don't want this. David wisely Listened. But do you see the balance there? The Holy Spirit's with us at all times. He doesn't have to prepare stuff and then hopefully catch us in time. He's with us at all times and the Holy Spirit of Jesus is speaking to us at all times. He, if we learn to listen and recognize. But the only way, the only way you're going to be able to be one of these people is to learn how to daily, continually walk in the spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, so I say walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We a lot of times think that our relationship with God is that we do the best we can and when we run into trouble, God help me! The Lord says, that's really not how I want to do it. I want to guide you. I want to lead you. I want you to follow me. I don't want you to try to be a good Christian and then check with me every now and then to see how you're doing. When Jesus taught about the indwelling Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, 15, in the abiding relationship in chapter 16, he said, it's good that I'm going away. It's good for you that I'm going away. Because when I go away, the Holy Spirit can come and I can be with you all at the same time. You don't have to wait in line. Zacchaeus had to climb a tree to be able to see me. The woman with the issue of blood had to push through a crowd of people just to be able to touch me. You don't have to wait in line anymore. I'll be with you at all times, and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Oh, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all the truth. 
Folks, we need to become men and women who learn the abiding relationship of walking with the Lord, spending time in his word, because his word is where he speaks the most through us and, and, and through it. But we have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It's okay to be angry every now and then, but only if the Lord has shown you how to be angry and what to do in your anger. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 17 through 32. Now this I say, Paul said, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, talking to Christians, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, before I read any further, does that remind you of any passage we might have studied in Romans? Let me read this to you again real quick. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I heard it. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your flesh, as an offering, and laid on the altar, it's dead. And be renewed in your mind. Oh, by the way, in the Romans passage, if you remember from our study, that's a daily thing. And it's not just a daily thing, it's a continual thing. You can actually be walking in the Spirit and jump out of it in a heartbeat. Keep reading. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Remember, it's okay to be angry, but only after you've allowed the Holy Spirit to show you how to respond so that your anger is his anger in the righteous response. Are there times that you're going to get angry? Yes, it's, it's a very normal reaction, yet... Jesus himself got angry, but he only responded in that anger in the times the Spirit would want him to, and other times he just kept it. Keep reading. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, though, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Stop. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as fits the occasion. Sounds like we have to know how to recognize what the occasion is and what the Spirit is saying to do in that situation. I knew a friend of mine. His name was Ron. I'm not going to give you his last name. But he lived in New Orleans when I lived in New Orleans. He was on staff at a church when I was on staff at a church. And Ron was awesome, but there was a problem with Ron's awesomeness. 
Ron was one of the most encouraging people you ever met. Ron would tell everyone how awesome they were. You walk down the hall of the church, Ron would say, you're awesome. And he'd tell you why you were awesome. But he did it so much, you finally got to a point of you just expected it and you wondered how much he meant it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we need to hear we're not awesome. Sometimes that's the best thing. Ron did real good, but he didn't know how to put it to fit the occasion. I've said this for years. If you've never read my book, I'll get it to you. I can't tonight because I've got to run for my brother's situation. But let me just say this to you. If you've never read my book on the principles of a God-centered church, grab me sometime and I'll get you one. But the first principle is that God doesn't never duplicated a method. If you look at the scriptures, he never did anything the same way twice. I could go on and on on this, but let me just give you two quick examples. In Matthew 15, Jesus is teaching and the disciples come and they say, don't you realize what you said offended the Pharisees? And Jesus' reaction is, who cares? They're blind leaders of the blind. Let them go. Yet in John chapter 3, he had the most loving conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Folks, when Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He wasn't standing on a hillside with his arms open preaching to the masses. He was in the dark at night, one-on-one -on -one with a Pharisee. Most likely it was this close because it was dark. So when Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He was saying it intimately to a Pharisee. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine sitting face to face with God and him saying, God sent me for you? That's what that was. We've turned it into a sign at football games. But it was intimate. So how do you treat Pharisees? You've got to let the Spirit know you, teach you how to speak and when to speak, what to say, what not to say. Mary and Martha, if you double check in John chapter 11, said the exact same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha got a sermon. He cried with Mary. And we've got to stop as Christians living by our policies. Well, I always do this. Well, that's great. Then you don't know what it means to walk in the spirit. That's going to take practice. And you know what the first thing we can do to, begin to come, become good at this, besides no, living in the word and in prayer so we'll recognize his voice, is to shut our mouths. The more I studied this, the more I've taught it, the more I kept feeling, man, I just need to shut up. And God says, yeah, that's a good start. And then I'll teach you when to speak and what to speak. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, what it means is simply this. He goes, oh, I wish you had let me. I wish you had let me. I wish you had listened to me. I wish you hadn't gone off and done that. 
He's grieved for what we miss out on. Isn't that what he said? By the way, I preached at the Mount of Olives and had the privilege of teaching from the area where he actually rode into Jerusalem. Pretty cool. And it was the day before Palm Sunday. What a gift. But I also remember that the scripture said that when he got to the city, he wept. He said, oh, if you'd only let me. I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. Oh, if you'd only known what would have brought you peace, but now it's going to be hidden from your eyes. When we walk in the flesh, even trying to be righteous before God and doing the right thing, we grieve the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians talks of, calls it quenching the Holy Spirit. Folks, you and I have the Lord Jesus within us at all times, wanting to lead and to guide and to teach and to direct. And we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because that kind of a response never produces the righteousness of God. Assume your first reaction is wrong. Just because your wife asked you, does this dress make me look fat, doesn't mean you have to always say the truth. <laughs> have you noticed in the section I just read in Ephesians how all this is phrased as intentional actions on our part due to our knowledge of God's word? I'm not going to go back over that, but it's all very specific intentional actions. Well, that ties back to James. Go back to James chapter 1. Look at verse 21, and we'll keep reading. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be listening to him. Let the spirit speak to you through the word and through his spirits directly. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Don't miss this. We can know the right stuff, but if we don't do it, James is going to talk about that later when we get to chapter 2. If you say you have faith, but there's no action that follows it, what kind of faith is that? You can know the truth, but if you don't apply it, it's head knowledge, not epignosis, the heart knowledge or experiential knowledge. So we not only need to know what the word of God is saying, what the spirit of God is saying, we then also need to do it. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things real quick. One, I'm going to tell you right now and get you ahead of t ready ahead of time. When the Holy Spirit does speak to you and gives you something to do, you're not going to want to do it. It's going to be hard for you because he's going to say, go over to so-and-so and ask for their forgiveness. Lord, they need to be asking me. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer. This came to my mind when we were at En this past week. 
En Gedi is the spring area in the desert. It's crazy how many waterfalls there are in En Gedi in the middle of this desert. But that's where David was hiding from Saul. He was writing a lot of Psalms there. And the Bible also tells us there was an interesting situation where Saul and his men were trying to find David to kill him. And David and his men are hiding in the cave. And Saul goes into that same cave to go to the bathroom. While he's in there, all his buddies are saying, this is of God. David decides not to kill him, but to show that he could have. He cuts a piece of his robe off. And as Saul goes out, David is instantly pricked in the spirit. He's convicted. And the spirit tells him to do something stupid. Go tell Saul your story. By the way, think about this for a minute. Where were David and his men hiding? In a cave. How many exits are in this cave? One. And Saul and his men, who had come this long distance to find him, to kill him, are now there. And he comes into the cave and he isn't found. But now God says, I want you to go stand at the mouth of the cave and tell him what you did and tell him you were wrong. Lord, um, that's going to give away our hiding place. Do what I say. Don't just be hearer of the word. Do what he says. Because just because you heard, if you don't do, what good is that? That's like a guy that go looks in the mirror and look at himself and then forgets what he looked like. What's the point? But not only that, look at what he promises. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Again, it's not a set of rules. It's being led of the Spirit, the freedom of being able to follow the Spirit or not. It's it. We've been given this wonderful gift. But not only that, but perseveres. It's going to take a little perseverance and continuance. Being no hearer who forgets but a doer acts will be what? Will be blessed in his doing. Now, jump with me to Deuteronomy 28. All the way through the Scriptures, God has told us over and over and over, and I'm just going to give you one. He's told us over and over and over that if we do what he says, we'll be blessed. His way is best. He's a good gift father. Remember, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. When there's no shadow of changing and turning, he's not going to change who he is. If you do what he says, you will be blessed. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 6. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall you be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Now, I'm going to caution you because this sounds great and it is true, but there's a problem that happens right here. We hear God will bless us and we start thinking, there's a few things I'd like. Let's pair this now with Proverbs chapter 28, verse 20. And let's put the two together. Proverbs 28, verse 20. Don't miss what it says here. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Yeah, that's the kind of preaching I want to hear. But whoever hastens to be rich 
will not go unpunished. Isn't that interesting? Here in the same verse, the scripture says, if you're faithful to do what God says, you will be blessed. Oh, but if you think blessing means financial gain, you're in trouble. And actually, let me just say this to you as well. If you think to yourself, I'm going to do what God says so that he'll bless me. You're seeking the blessing, not the blesser. God rewards people that respond out of the, their heart. He doesn't resp respond to the right actions. He responds to the right heart behind the actions. Two people could do the exact same thing. One be blessed, the other not be blessed. Why? Because one's doing it out of their heart for the Lord, whether they're blessed or not. And one is doing it for the blessing. Are you doing it for the blessing? Or are you doing it for the gift? Or are you doing it because you love the giver? There's actually a passage in 1 Timothy 6 that says, Beware of anyone that teaches that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, I know there are lots of big churches all over our country that teach the opposite. And we love hearing preaching about being blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. And a lot of people like to say that. But what they mean is, I'm going to be wealthy and never sick. No? But let me say this to you. Your life will go far, far better if you do what he says and listen to him. Because everything he says is right. Oh, everything he says is not easy. Because our flesh doesn't like falling obediently because we, we, we know better. Now look at verses 26 and 27 in James chapter 1 as we wrap up. If anyone thinks he's religious and he doesn't bridle his tongue, does that not sound like it's tied together with all the way we've just been looking at? If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, and by the way, we're not even done looking at this because when we get to chapter 3, James is going to go off on this again, but we'll deal with that when we get to chapter 3. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. And this person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, i got to say something to you here as well. Your flesh is going to want to turn verse 27 into a new set of rules. Oh, here we go. The religion that's accepted is taking care of widows and orphans, so that's going to be my ministry now because that will be acceptable to God. No, 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 be careful. You could spend your whole life taking care of widows and orphans and get no reward in heaven if that's not what God had for you to do. What James is saying is this, and I'm going to show it to you from scriptures. Real religion will manifest itself not with flashy words, but with an attitude or a heart action that is manifested in love for people. And saying no to the flesh when it comes to being stained by the world and all the world's desires. And by the way, if you say, I don't have any desires of the world, you're lying. And you need the spirit to win in those battles on a daily basis. That's what God's looking for. People that walk with him in such a way that they don't have to tell you that they're religious. You ever noticed that when you actually have a pretty good week, 
spiritually and you actually get out of bed early and spend a little time with the Lord before you go to work, you can't help but tell people. When I was having my quiet time this morning, God showed me this. Now, we just pointed out that we had, but we didn't have one for the last month, but we had one this morning, and I hope you thought that I had one every day. Go with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to say something to me. If you actually do have a quiet time, a real one, We'll know without you telling us. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do, for they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Folks, I've said this before and I say it to you again. I know some of you were raised in that era of, I can't call you Jim, I have to call you pastor. You ever feel that way? I don't call you Sunday school teacher. I don't call you usher. I don't call you choir singer. That's my role. I'm Jim. And it actually will help me a little if you stop calling me pastor, because I got a problem. I want people to be impressed with me. I want people to go, oh, he's here today. And I have to lay that on the altar on a daily basis. But I just want to give you honor. Well, I've said this to churches for years. Don't give the pastor a special parking space. Just pay him. Listen to him. That's how you honor your pastor. At the same time, Jesus is saying, watch out for these people who do all their religion and their religious activity to be seen by others. And folks, it doesn't only apply to people on this side of the podium. You have the same problem. You want people to notice when you do well. Go to verse 23 in chapter 23. Verse 23 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! By the way, does anybody know what that word hypocrite actually means and where it comes from? Does anybody know? It's coming from the Greek time when they would do the plays and the dramas. Their actors were always men, no women. And whenever they would change the character that they were going to be, they put a different mask in front of their face. And that's where the word comes from. In other words, they're pretending to be someone they're not. 
So when Jesus said hypocrites, these people who had lived in Greek culture knew fully what he was saying. You guys are pretending to be something you're not. Woe to Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I'm going to give you another warning. Who is the only one that could lambast the Pharisees like this? Jesus. Why? He's the, not, not only the only non-hypocrite, he's the only one that really knew their hearts. I really want this to sink in for a minute. Because we want to be God so bad, we don't even realize, because in our righteousness, we want to point out the hypocrisy of the people around us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this. He says it's, it's, it, it, it's mandatory that a servant, a steward, be found faithful. But then he goes on and he says this. But I don't care if I'm judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't have anything. I don't know of anything against myself. I, I mean, as far as I can tell, I'm doing all right. But that doesn't mean I'm thereby acquitted. God's the one who knows my heart. Now, don't miss what he just said. Paul said, as far as I know, I think I'm doing all right. But I'm wise enough to know that I could deceive myself. Therefore, if Paul doesn't know his own heart, how can Paul or you or me know the heart of the person next to you? Well, the only reason they did that is because of this. You don't know that. So we have to be real careful that our first reaction doesn't come out of our mouth. It's going to happen that it's going to be there. Oh, and by the way, one of the best ways people will really see that you're really letting Jesus do this is not that you shut up. But that also in those times when we don't shut up. We say we're sorry. That was one of the hardest things for me as a parent. I'm pretty sure you would understand this, but I didn't parent my kids perfectly. I tried. But I was raised by a human, too. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And God had to do a work in me. And my kids will tell you, they saw the change in me as a parent as God began to move me from law to grace. But at the same time, even as I moved from law to grace, I still messed up a time or two. And one of the best things that I could have ever done and did only a few times, unfortunately, compared to how much I should have. But I would go to my kids and say I was wrong. That was hard for me because in my mind, I didn't want my kids to ever think I did anything wrong. You know, when they were little, I could fix anything. But then they got older and saw that dad didn't walk on water. What I want to do in our time that we're going to have, the last two minutes we have, is I'm going to read to you this passage again from James. And tell me if it doesn't read a little different now. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person, I don't think that leaves anybody in the room out, 
Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But don't just listen. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now if anyone thinks he's right, religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Remember David in 1 Samuel 25 who was righteously angry and decided he was going to go kill all of Nabal's people? Later on in his life, partially because he wasn't the best dad either, his son Absalom decides he's going to take over. And David has to run. And as David is fleeing the city with a group of people and his mighty men are around him, there's a man named Shimei who climbs up on the hill and starts throwing rocks at King David and cursing him. And one of David's mighty men, you know, righteously angry, says, do you want me to go cut his head off? David, oh, go read the story. It'll, it's pretty cool. Listen to what David says. He says, no. Because there's a chance that he's cursing me because God told him to. And if I told him to stop or I stopped him from cursing me when God wanted him to curse me, I'd be having him do something against what God was wanting to do. And if he is cursing me on his own and it's not from God, God will not only deal with him, I may be rewarded for how I responded by not taking it into my own hands. And then... If you keep reading, after Absalom dies and David comes back into the city, Shimei comes running to him and falls on his face and says, oh, I made a big boo-boo. <laughs> and David's men, again, do you want him to cut off his head? David says, no. This is a day of rejoicing. David had moved from that man who would quickly get angry to a man who learned to listen to the Spirit. Does that mean he never had anybody put to death? No, 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 no. We need to be knowing how to let the Spirit show us how to speak and when to speak and what to say and what not to say. And let me tell you right now, that's going to take the rest of your life. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.